0: Seth. Who back when.
1: when What Ho Podcast Land and welcome to yet another incredible episode of Who back when. I'm so excited Who back when a Doctor Who podcast
2: Or Dark Past.
1: (laughs) That is right. Oh, what dulcet tones did you hear in (laughs) thine ear, dearest podcast land? Yes, that's right. I am Leon, but I am but half of the uh, podcasting crew this fine soiree, because I am joined uh, in the flesh, this is insane, occupying roughly the same physical space as (laughs) Steed Styling himself, (laughs) (laughs) Stephen of New To Who... Hello, Stephen.
2: I could say exactly the same thing about you, Leon. It's amazing to finally meet you in the flesh after listening to you for years and the whole gang. Oh my God, uh, likewise. It's, it's a privilege. So thank you for, for having me over in your little abode. This has been wonderful to be able to catch up with you and I've really enjoyed the last couple of days.
1: Yeah, well, likewise. Yeah, Yeah. We are just hanging out in Oxford podcast land. This Mm. this is what you're missing out on. (laughs) And uh, we've done a lot of sightseeing. We've done a lot of Doctor Who chat. It's been fantastic.
2: Yeah, it's been a wonderful, wonderful time. Absolutely. And I hope that I'm back at some point soon.
1: Please uh, be back. (laughs) Do you want to tell podcast land a little bit, not that they need to be informed about this because I'm sure they already know, but do you want to tell them a little bit about New to Who. Yeah, sure. If you haven't heard us before,
2: New to Who. um, We kind of started, it would have been, I would say, uh, early 2017. And we kicked off with basically the remit of what would you do if you had a friend who hadn't seen any classic doctor who whatsoever before and um, perhaps they're a new who fan and haven't sort of bridged across to the old 20th century program yeah or maybe they've never seen doctor who before and they're interested in like oh hang on what if i would go back you know to the beginning or to the 60s the 70s the 80s what could i find there what would be the good stories to start with and that's kind of the, the genesis of the 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 podcast uh, and it's myself dan and cole who are uh, great friends from many years and It started off basically watching pizza and drinking beer at my place on a Tuesday (laughs) night, and it's turned into a podcast. Um, And yeah, we've had some great fun. We've been off for the best part of a couple of years, really. Um, We like to to podcast in person. Obviously, uh, COVID has made that quite difficult, particularly because I live in Singapore. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So I was kind of trapped there for a couple of years or so. But I'm hoping to get back to Perth and catch up with both Cole and Dan in the not-too-distant future, and maybe, maybe we get some episodes again.
1: I think you should. How many episodes did you do?
2: Uh, Oh gosh, I'd say close to 30. Ah. Um, And different guests as well. So we've had, you know, some wonderful people like Paul Cornell on.
1: I I know. (laughs) I don't know how you scored those guests, but you have some fantastic people. We're
2: just superbly lucky. And the Doctor (laughs) Who community and Doctor Who fandom is like a genuinely lovely place Um, as, you know, just the friendship that you and I have been able to strike up over, over, (laughs) over years now, like I'm, I'm listening to people and I'm getting to meet them and everyone's just so welcoming and nice. And I think that's just the way that doctor who fandom works, but yeah, it's been incredible. And, um, you know we've had um, Andrew Carmel on and, and Christopher H. Bidmead and it's just like we've just I
1: know your Chris Bidmead interview is stellar oh that's very cool. I really enjoyed it. it it's
2: all down to Christopher H. Bidmead the man is an absolute genius and uh, yeah I mean that season 18 is one of our absolute favourites
1: yeah well. he was such a chap I I, he is, I, yeah. I remember listening to that shortly I can't remember which series it was but it was one of his obviously Logopolis yes oh yeah it was Logopolis yeah. was it and the added context of having just being able to listen to First of all, you're all on the podcast, you're so incredibly erudite in your analysis oh of, of Doctor Who, of anything, really. But it, it's really, it's a fantastic show. It's a podcast, line okay. mean, if you hadn't listened to it, like, just do. It's out there. You should explore it. Oh, thank you. But then to listen to that alongside slash right after having watched a serial and just (laughs) being given that added profundity it really really good yeah we were very lucky absolutely um but yeah it's been a joy and
2: you get to meet some amazing people along the way as as you and i have found out
1: yeah so right podcast land you might be rightly asking yourself are these two dudes gonna jack themselves off all evening (laughs) uh Yeah, sorry, this is Hugh back when. (laughs) We have our explicit tag on iTunes. What are we going to do this evening? Well, over dinner, we toyed with a couple of ideas. What might we do? And in the end, with absolutely no preparation on my part... (laughs) Or mine. Well, I mean, I would beg to differ because I kind of suggested, why don't we effectively rip off your podcast <laughs> formula? Podcast line, I'm in the presence of someone who is an absolute expert in what to recommend to someone who is new to WHO. So, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through all the doctors whom we have reviewed on WHO back when in Fall, plus Whitaker, because we already have seen Whitaker. We know mm-hmm. that. So, we're going to go through docs one, two, three, four, five, and docs nine and onwards. And we're going to pick the best and the worst choice of episode or serial to recommend to someone who is entirely new to Who. <laughs> and we're going to have to make our case. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't know what uh, each other
2: have picked. This is going to be a, That's true. A, a great fun for the this both is- of
1: us utterly bonkers (laughs) (laughs) i want to add this caveat from the start you are an expert i am not and i'm gonna rely i'm gonna rely on you to do much of the heavy lifting (laughs) here i'm gonna have to look up everything but yeah okay so First doctor it is yes,
0: it all started
1: out as a mild curiosity in the junkyard. now it's turned out to be quite a, a quite a great spirited adventure, don't you think? Yeah. We're starting with the first doctor. would you like to take us away? Oh really okay well if if I were to start I'd
2: have to start right at the beginning. Oh and it has to be like if you're trying to introduce someone to the very concept of what Doctor Who is yeah. I would go back to the very beginning and the very first episode and part one of what I guess is known as An Unearthly Child, but I actually think is a standalone episode from the other three parts, which is set in caveman times. Yeah, I've always thought of that myself. But it is An Unearthly Child. It's the introduction of uh, Ian and Barbara It's mm. the introduction of Susan And then in the last act We get the mysterious figure that of the Doctor turn up And of course He whisks them away Into all of time and space And the adventure begins Like that is I keep saying it An immortal piece of television Those 25 minutes Made in 1963 Stand up to this day I think they're superbly scripted I think they've got The fingerprints Of the first script editor David Whittaker All over them and He is a superb writer uh, And there's just An ethos A bouquet about that entire story <laughs> and uh, yes the spirit of Doctor Who is captured in black and white in 25 minutes in 1963 it's wonderful
1: right devil's advocate mmm uh, episode one, unearthly, uh, an unearthly trial, and also, by the way, like I'm pretty sure it was at least in certain releases considered to be separate from parts two, three, four of that serial. Right. Uh, aren't the other ones called something like 10,000 BC or 50,000 BC or something like that?
2: I think oh, there's many names for it. So there's 100,000 BC.
1: 100, there's what's tri- 90,000 between <laughs> friends?
2: <laughs> yeah, and you know, very accurately defined. I'm sure it was 100,000 BC. Uh, it's called the Tribe of Gum in some instances as well. Okay. Uh, and of course, each episode has its own. Uh, name name yeah. as well, which is what they did back then. So
1: yeah, who cares what it's called? Yeah, so we de- know what it is. <laughs> okay, so Devil's Advocate episode one, yeah, has uh, as you say, phenomenal introduction to the even the concept of companions. Very much. Susan is so mysterious, and she's such a wunderkind and and yeah. and charismatic at the same time. Ian and Babs, they've got that weird will they won't they kind of tension mm. that you get almost. And uh, naturally, by having a, uh, two people of roughly the same age who are not romantically affiliated with anyone off-screen, on-screen together, mm. like you just know, yeah, they might be doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but, do you get enough of the Doctor in Part 1, or does that not happen 100,000 years B.C.? That's a really good point. And I, I'm i not sure that it suffers in the same way that the Odyssey by Homer
2: opens its first five of 24 books by focusing not on Odysseus, but on his son. And All right, the so- mystery of Odysseus <laughs> is set up through that. So I think that's what's really cool about this. The show is called Doctor Who. Who yeah, is the doctor? I that's true. The, the, the centrality of the absolute sort of mystery of this character, the way that that's foregrounded and set up in the first episode actually really works for it, I think.
1: I mean, it, I just want to point out, 10 minutes, 45 seconds in, that was the first Homer reference of the <laughs> evening. Who had 10 minutes, 45? Uh, Scratch cards out. That's a very solid choice. I mean, it, it was also, it was such a successful choice to introduce people who naturally were new to Who, sure. never having seen the show before. I, think and so. it, I mean, it worked. Yeah. 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 All right, so that's my one, but wow. I want to hear your one. Okay, I mean, I really struggled here, so... <laughs> <laughs> I am going to go with one serial. Mm -hmm. It's it's a serial. It's not an episode. It's a serial. But I have... One, two, three, four three, four honourable mentions. Wonderful. Okay. So I'm very sorry. I was really, really bad. When we get to the second Doctor, I get a little bit better. <laughs> the one that I've gone with is Dalek's Invasion of Earth. Uh, that was on my list. So I had uh, two other names on oh, there. Oh, nice. And what were they? One of them, Oh, well, the Aztecs is one. Oh, that's a good choice. I didn't think about that.
2: Uh, just in terms of the way that the historical is set up, I think it's a really wonderful, f- it's four parts as well, so it's not very long. Yeah. Um, Barbara has an incredible amount of agency. The Doctor gets up to some funny. Oh, my gets God. She gets to
1: act all over the place. It's fantastic. Completely.
2: But yeah, but the other one was absolutely the Dalek invasion of Earth. I think that is a superb piece of television.
1: Yeah, I think Dalek's invasion of Earth, this is in no way to trivialize it or, or belittle it, but it has that sort of mass market appeal. That there's a reason why it was turned Technicolor. Yeah. And so if you start someone off on something like that, more so, I think, than the Daleks, Mm. that if you start people off on that, then there's tremendous tension. You have the time travel aspect. You get quite a lot of companion work. Yeah, Um, absolutely. It might be too soon to introduce someone to a companion farewell. I admit that. Oh, okay. But it's a long serial. Yeah. So by the end of it, you might already be fond enough of Susan to be heartbroken when he leaves her behind. Yeah, I guess so. But also it sort of introduces the fact that the Doctor does leave companions
2: behind. This is what the show sort of does and the way that it sort of, in part, helps to renew itself as well. Yeah. I'm not sure that's like a deal breaker, but I get your reticence that it's like, we've just, okay, you've just seen perhaps Susan for the first time and six episodes later she's off, so... I kind of get that, but I don't think that would preclude it. I think there's so much, as you say, else about that story that makes it so wonderful not least because the daleks have landed on earth in yes. london it's so totemic the imagery there is incredible
1: yeah oh, i very nearly committed blasphemy and said it more so than the invasion than the Cybermen oh, episode yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that you have this alien force that has come to earth it's taken over everything there's maybe it's just me not remembering invasion well enough but i i feel like you get more of a sense of the decay of london in daleks invasion of earth than you get when the cybermen arrive and so for people who I'm not saying everyone in the audience is based in London, but everyone in the audience will recognise many of those Kodak moments, those sure. those sort of postcard places. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's heartbreaking to watch that happen. Also, you get the cybered guys, can't remember what they're called? What they Robo- called? Men. Robomen. men, yeah. yeah. Such a good name. <laughs> <laughs> That's a redonkulous. <laughs>
2: yeah, there's, there's so much to love about it. But yeah, I, I think, you know, the Daleks in Westminster is again, just, I think Doctor Who is fundamentally, particularly in the public imagination, a an imagistic uh, series. We we remember in terms of the people who are not necessarily fans, just ordinary people who are watching television. We remember those moments, that chime uh, in terms of the public consciousness, and absolutely the Daleks in London, the Daleks, you know, over Westminster Bridge is yeah. that's an incredible image,
1: absolutely, and it sticks. It also has, in fact, that particular scene is it two Daleks, two or three Daleks in a I row? Think three, yeah. On the bridge What will later on End up being The London Eye In the background (laughs) That particular shot Is one of those shots That people just know As Doctor Who Mm. So A They already know What a Dalek is Before they've ever Seen Doctor Who They just recognize it It's part of the Public consciousness But then that particular shot Is one that When they watch the serial They'll go like Oh my god This is that thing Mm. That I know Because everyone knows it You know what I love the show I'm gonna watch it forever Yeah 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 So yeah (laughs) (laughs) At least that's the idea (laughs) great choice i agree absolutely what were your
2: other runners up oh no i i mean i tried to limit myself as much as possible i could name any number of them in the sense that there are so many that you know hartnell is overlooked in many regards i think Um, But there's so much in those first three years that has a sense of wonder. You know, the show hasn't found its feet just yet in terms of the the tropes or the, you know, the formulas that it will continue to sort of pull out. And so you have these curios um, and it can be like Marco Polo, the historical ones, or it can be something like Planet of the Giants, which,
1: wow. like Mind-bogglingly good. but not representative of the show, no, I would exactly argue. Exactly
2: right. And in that instance, you sort of think, well, what is Doctor Who in the first three years? Is there a definitive thing? It's probably the Daleks. I think you're right. That's what defines Doctor Who with uh, with that first three years under Hartnell, I think. Yeah. Certainly the success of the program owes, is owed to the Daleks, I think.
1: I've got more honourable mentions on my list. Oh, I'd love to Did hear I cut that. you off, by the way? No, no, no. Okay, so here are the other ones. Dagnabbit. Uh, Keys of Marinus. <laughs> it's a lot it's, of fun. It's so much fun. It's all over the place. It introduces the scope, the potential scope of a serial. Yeah. And it has such a clear mission. There's there's such a blatant MacGuffin and that it sells. It's so easy. Yeah, you know, are you going to write, you're writing your first novel, are you going to follow the the hero's journey or are you going to like free format and do your own thing? (laughs) No, just like stick to the script, buddy. And Keys of Marinus does that super well. Plus it introduces Vought Hiding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: It's hard to argue with that. I think it sort of plays into that whole thing of what we'd probably call these days sort of video game logic. Each stage or each episode sort yes. of represents the next stage in the, in that journey or the next stage in that video game. And, you, you know, sort of you get the key and you go on to the next stage. Yeah. Um, so that sort of appeals as well. And, and it finishes off with like a, you know, Perry Mason kind of courtroom drama mystery. Amazing. <laughs> Brilliant.
1: Yeah. What's not to love? Yeah. I'm hooked already. Yeah. <laughs> So I have more honorable mentions, but maybe we should just, like, cut it and oh, go to worse. Let's just list them. I just, I'm just, yeah? fascinated to hear. Okay. Tenth Planet. Oh, yes. It has tremendous drama. Yeah. It has incredible tension. Such a scary baddie. Oh, yeah. Just the most terrifying, possibly the most terrifying incarnation of the Cybermen ever. Yeah. And it also, I mean, it, it does introduce the, the concept of regeneration. Mm-hmm which might also be a weird thing to do at the start, but I think that kind of works. In my mind, I'm introducing this to a modern audience, Mm -hmm. and this is the same modern audience, statistically speaking, part of which, a large part of which, in fact, is reticent to watch something in black and white even, let alone something old and starring in uh, some old (laughs) codger. So if you have one of those that that shows what that gentleman can do you kill him off at the end of it and you say don't worry he's being replaced by a younger version of himself but he's older and wiser (laughs) Uh, they're gonna it's gonna blow their minds yeah (laughs) Yeah.
2: no i i tend to agree i think there's a lot that happens in the tenth planet you're right it's the first regeneration story it's the first sideman story those Cybermen are plays to the whole body horror thing we see them again in World Enough and Time and the Doctor falls and maybe they've never been more terrifying I agree because it speaks to just like how horrific it would be to like what the concept of Cybermen are they're not metal monsters that clang about
1: no they look so DIY it's it's horrible
2: who have been turned into machines yeah horrible Uh, so yeah I think that's true and it's also the other thing is that it's the very first time that Doctor Who does the base under siege which is a genre that in (gasps) we will see a lot
1: oh yes that's that's a very good point I wonder if that will factor into any one of my choices in the (laughs) Trouton era um but yeah no that's a very good point okay the the other ones that I had I added Space Museum just because it's fun and it's silly it's probably not a good episode I don't remember what I gave it (laughs) (laughs) but I added it because it's very playful yeah it plays with a lot of fairly high concept sci-fi mm. and it has the very classic good guy, bad guy kind of shtick it, it it's so blatant who is good <laughs> and who's evil yeah i i love the first episode of that i think it's just
2: it's bonkers weird and you know the whole thing about jumping time tracks it's it's nonsense
1: yes but... yes oh but my it's... god i've forgotten about that entirely this is definitely a great choice <laughs> <laughs>
2: But yeah, I think I think that first episode really stands up, definitely. And then you know later on you've got some crazy stuff of Hartnell being interrogated and sort of thinking of walruses and and Penny Farthing yes. bicycles, oh, which is just so. And much he's fun.
1: in weird spandex wearing a hat. <laughs> <laughs> Classic stuff. You have such a happy Hartnell popping out of a Dalek, out of a hollow oh, Dalek. Of course, yeah, yeah. That just makes me happy thinking about it yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one on my list was Dalek's Master Plan, but only if it weren't missing yeah i
2: think it'd be a hard sell to sort of get people to watch the reconstructions it's not animated yet i'm sure at some point it will be and maybe that will make things easier but yeah it's one of those series i think you know if you asked most fans which one would you like to have back yeah uh, or have back next be that one i think so right i still don't know whether it's an amazing series or a story rather or whether it's like twelve episodes is just too long, and there's padding in it. It's probably going to be the latter. But like, there's <laughs> there's something that we're we're not something. There's a lot that we're that we're losing because we don't have we don't have it. Yeah, we're just guessing. It's
1: yeah. I mean, now I am now thinking that's a bad choice. Actually, <laughs> it's it's too long. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have added it to the list. But it no, no. has a double feature. Yeah. Like, imagine it's a Hobbit, part one and two. You yeah, know, yeah, that's yeah, what I yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Daleks Master Plan, parts one and two. You spend two evenings, you get two bags of popcorn and you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we're going to have the same choice for worst cereal to uh, introduce someone to. I'm not sure, actually. So I'm really intrigued.
2: Can I get you to go first from this one?
1: I've got two of them. Yeah, please. And yeah, okay. I've gone with The Celestial Toymaker. Okay. Oh, it's not the same one that you picked. Well, it is one of three that I picked. Oh, that's fascinating. <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if my other one is represented among yours. Amazing. Try. The Rescue. No. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, Celestial Toymaker, why is it on your list? It's the worst story of the 60s. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Episode over. And... <laughs>
2: No, it's racist indeed, it, and it doesn't do anything with the potential of the um, the character or this, you know, this villain, this, this sort of, you know, superbly powerful supernatural, almost you know, devil-like character he resorts to sort of like playing crap games and like how is this dramatic why why are we watching this
1: yeah also hartnell is absent from quite a lot of it completely. i can't remember if it was because of his health or if he just did not like this serial. i think that was i think there would have been an element of that and,
2: and certainly hartnell was sick throughout a lot of the um, particularly season um three um but it's also the producer um trying to get rid of Hartnell and replace him with someone else With though. someone else, oh So I, I think there's that as well, yeah
1: it's That's cruel, Yeah, that's absolutely cruel And then he's basically replaced by a still frame of a hand yeah. That's just moved yes. across the screen It's, yeah, no, that's pretty Disrespectful Disrespectful, exactly, yeah. yes Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, okay, so um, what were your other choices? Well,
2: okay, I was thinking in terms of what would turn someone off who has never seen Doctor Who before. So, basically, who has got zero tolerance for, like, any crap 60s sci-fi stuff?
1: Oh, I mean, wrong show, buddy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, I agree. But there's there's two very sort of, like, 1950s even sort of feel stories in that period of, of the Hartnell era that I think probably would send most people to sleep. One of them I love by virtue of the fact of the novelization, but is actually quite difficult to watch, and that's The Web Planet, which uh-huh. with the Zabi <laughs> and yeah. the, uh, you know, the butterfly people in terms of the Benoptra, it, it, like, the, the, I I love that they had the balls and the imagination to do something so utterly, utterly different. Yeah. Um, but it is an experiment that largely fails uh, but i think really works in the novelization because you can use your, your imagination and the special effects can, oh you know, i've not read
1: it oh. uh, yeah. i've not read a single one of the novelizations
2: oh okay well um, i mean i'm not going to harp on too much about it but really that's kind of how i got into doctor who through the books through the targets that were uh, yeah. discovered in a in a you know i remember hearing school. on your
1: podcast <laughs> <laughs>
2: um so there's that one and i i'm i'm kind of kind to that one really but the one that i don't have any truck with and i think would would turn a lot of people off is one that's recently been Animated, oh. and it's Galaxy Four. Oh I, yeah, yeah. I feel like it's so one-dimensional, so predictable, yeah. so utterly, um, you know. I consider Zog, Zog aliens from the planet Zog doing Zog stuff, and yeah. no one really cares. Um, there's some wonderful stuff that Hartnell gets up to, but that's kind of like on. Um, he's kind of sidelined. And it's all a bit simplistic and underwhelming and, you know.
1: Very much so. I can only remember the one actual scene including any kind of tension as well. And that's the one where the oxygen level is dropping. I think it's the uh, t- episode the two, lock. episode three yes. cliffhanger.
2: With, uh, with Stephen there. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. What are they called again? Uh, the Dravins. The Dravins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: And the and the rills and the little chumbly robots.
1: I mean, the chumbly, which which was meant to replace the Daleks. I don't see how. How could that possibly do it? No, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. You're having too many Haribos. We're going to replace your Haribos. Um, Here, do you like turds? (laughs) 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 Yeah. No, mission not accomplished. Absolutely not. Yeah. Although you know what I would like to see? I would like to see just a defunct Chumbly in the background of a new who episode at some point. Oh yeah. I would be totally up for that. It's just like it's just there. If you notice it you It's there for spares. Uh, I, I did toy with that one as well. I don't remember much about the plot. So there is a one. <laughs> the bad, bad. Actually, there are sort of two antagonists. The Dravin are one of them, right? That's, and yeah. then there's the sort of Jabba character.
2: Yeah, the reals, right? And Reels, that's Of course, right. it's the
1: whole Beauty and the Beast thing, or you know, like right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's
2: pretty facile. So right, for that reason, I think it would turn someone off because it's just really dull, slow, and really quite predictable. Uh, this is it. This is this is why Doctor Who is good. This is rubbish.
1: Can and I went to a Doctor Who quiz uh-huh. at the BFI in right. London, yeah. and it was right after they had aired or they had screened the Galaxy 4 oh, yeah, um, right. you know, animation. Yeah, We didn't see that. They didn't have any tickets for it. Uh, also, I think, yeah, it, as we, <laughs> that would have been her first episode of Doctor Who. Not a good way of introducing it <laughs> to the show. So, So we didn't do that. But we went to the quiz, and at the quiz, they had sort of entertainment while they were counting the points. And one of them was a drag queen called Draga the Dravin. Amazing. It was one of the best drag shows I've ever seen. (laughs) It was absolutely fantastic. (laughs) Such a good show. Such a good performance. Oh, wonderful. Uh, I'll find it on Twitter. I'll pop it in here. It's very good stuff. So did you have a third one? Uh, It was Web Planet. Oh, yeah, of course. Web Planet. Yeah. Web Planet is, I've said this too many times now. When we've caught up on Who Back When with all of Doctor Who, I would definitely want to go back and re-review that. I haven't even rewatched it since then. I'm yeah. sure that I would enjoy it.
2: I, I think like I, I'm as I say, I'm kind to it because it reaches for something. It fails to do so, but it's it's a noble attempt. Yeah. And, you know, I have read the novelization. I read it when I was very young and I was taken by the sheer scope and the imagination sort of of it. But honestly, if you were to sit someone down who had never seen Doctor Who, or as you said before, like is just not keen on black and white old telly, that would yeah. be that'd be appalled. Probably.
1: But you might be fighting a losing battle anyway if you're <laughs> faced with a candidate like that. Sorry. <laughs> My other candidate was um, The Rescue, for worst. Okay, so this is interesting. Please let me, sort of walk me through this one. So it's it's principally because I think it's dumb. Like that's that's <laughs> just it. It's dumb. And it's also quite belittling often in a very sexist way Mm. of vicky yeah and i'm very mindful that we refer to her as vicky no pants on the show (laughs) so i apologize for that but i mean in in the episode itself it does not treat her the way that she deserves to be treated Mm. and just the conceit of um it's Sandy the Sand Monster yes. and oh, the Sand the Beast. The Sand Beast, yes. And the whole thing of, I've got a recording device on the other side of this door. You think I'm in here? Of course, I'm not wearing a <laughs> Scooby-Doo mask for all of the episode. I'm the only other person in the entire story. <laughs> it's a It with a victim and the guy who's supposed to not be a suspect. I can absolutely see that. Yeah. Screw that episode. <laughs> I think he has a heart um, and there's
2: some wonderful character work. Obviously it's Whittaker again, and he's introducing a new companion who is uh, meant to replace Susan and does replace Susan quite successfully. I would yeah. argue that Vicky is Susan done right. Yes. In many ways. Uh, and, and she's lovely and charming and you get some wonderful moments between Ian and Barbara as well. Uh, the doctor has a few character pieces. I, f- I feel like he's, you know, he's, uh, confrontation with Coquillian slash Bennett is quite sort of uh, stirring, but I think also maybe maybe this is being kind, but it's almost like a, a meta thing. Like we see as viewers, someone in a crap sixties sci-fi
1: monster outfit. I love the outfit. Oh, you do. I love the outfit. Okay. I, I I don't know if I did the f- when when we saw it at the time, but I have absolutely come to adore the super naff costumes <laughs> and the terrible wobbly sets. I love them. <laughs>
2: But it's just funny that, like, that that crap costume turns out to just actually be not a monster, but... But a crap costume. A crap costume. Yeah. Which I think is kind of murdering.
1: You're you're right. Oh, wait. Did I not tell you before we press record that you were going to do the heavy lifting here? This is great. (laughs) I'm almost convinced. I mean, I'm I'm glad that it's my runner-up for worst (laughs) and not my actual worst, but it's... You know what? I don't actually even remember Babs and Ian in it. I I have no recollection of what they do in it. They don't do much.
2: No, I, I tend to agree. It's very much foreshadow, uh, for you know, promoting uh, Susan, uh, Vicky rather, as the replacement to Susan.
1: I might be harboring a bit of resentment because you said it so incredibly well, this is Susan done right. Yeah. But Susan was still Susan. And if the doc proves that he is capable of the kind of emotional exchange that he then shares with Vicky as his Erzatz granddaughter, he's like, God, I I really miss having a granddaughter. Please be with me. Mm. It's like, well... Mike. You literally just abandoned your yeah. granddaughter. <laughs> Why
2: didn't you show your own granddaughter this effect? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, split screen. Half of the screen, we get Susan just like shivering in, in post apocalyptic <laughs> London with a man she probably does no longer love. Sick and tired of potatoes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thinking to herself, why did Doc not just like leave a bag of seeds or something for us here so that we could plant and regrow the earth? Like we, we could, we could do something with this. Sure. He, he did not help us at all. And other side of the split screen, there's Doc cradling the shoe that he stole from Susan before he left her. She's <laughs> like, "That's right, my precious." <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on to the second Doctor? Anything well, else? But is the you know is the first Doctor a good Doctor to introduce someone who is new to Hutu
2: um, I think at some point you would need to. You'd have to sort of cover all the doctors anyway. So yeah, that's true. I mean there's always that. Um would you start with it? Maybe not. I think, you know, in terms of the public consciousness, it's probably maybe the third or the fourth doctor that maybe is the most well known and remembered. Yeah. Um and that's also perhaps when the show really hits its stride, I think, as well. You know, millions and millions of people are watching Tom Baker, fourteen million at one point.
1: Holy smokes, yeah, what
2: yeah, for City of Death. Uh, which we'll talk about later on. Spoilers, uh, uh, but I think there <coughs> runner-up. Yeah. There's a great. Deal. <laughs> there is a great deal to recommend about Hartnell, and maybe it's not the first Doctor, but it's uh, that you would go to. But it would definitely be a Doctor that you would sort of go to with an appreciation of what the show later does. Perhaps
1: a spectacular answer. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but I'd still start with episode one. Okay. Yeah. Our lives are different too.
1: Anybody else's. That's the exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. So what about the second Doctor then? We've moved on. We're no longer with Hartnell. We're now introduced to Patrick Troughton. How do we introduce someone to Patrick Troughton?
2: So, I mean, Patrick Troughton is an incredible actor who perhaps hasn't always had the best scripts, I, I think. Okay. Uh, and one of the things that happens to not just Doctor Who, but to television in general around about 1967, it starts to become very formulaic. And that's not an accident, I don't think. There are shows that have been syndicated through to America where basically it's the same plot over and over again. The Avengers is one example, and don't oh, yeah, get me yeah. wrong, I adore The Avengers. Same. <laughs> yeah, I, like, honestly, the whole Emma Peel's deed thing is just wonderful, and I can watch those episodes on repeat, even though each episode is a repeat of the previous one. But what Doctor Who does at this point is that, and I mentioned it before, it does base Under Siege as a default, and week in, week out for the most part, certainly in Season 5, we have Doctor Who sort of falling into a formula so if we're going to pick the story that best encapsulates the Troughton era and is a really good one to introduce uh, newbies to, I think it's probably Tomb of the Sidon, which isn't without its faults.
1: Oh. Mm. But
2: at four episodes, has the Cybermen, yep. um, plays with the base under siege narrative structure. That's true. And introduces a character, the companion in Vicky, um, who sort of gets to do some cool stuff, but it was also you know gets undermined as well in a very sort of uh, classic BBC sexism, 1960s kind of way. Of course. Um, there's also representational issues in terms of the villains as well, who are seen as um, largely other, and that's Clegg and Kaftan. They're obviously of you know, Middle Eastern extract or something like that. Yeah, uh, and they're sort of the villains of the piece, along with the Seibman and and Tobman. Who I was is, just going to say Tobman. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, he's the monster. I've left race. him to last for yeah. because he's just the most glaring example, I guess, of you know, um, you know, BBC casual racism. I think. Yeah. So it is problematic, but again, that's probably reflective of the time. Yeah. Um, So one of the things I think that's important when when viewing old classic Doctor Who episodes is – you absolutely must read it in terms of where you're at. Well, it's absolutely impossible
1: to view any. I mean, these are historical documents of a, of a kind. Sure. And it's impossible to absorb any aspect of them without viewing them through a certain lens, namely the lens of our present day and Completely. what we know now and how, yeah, how we would have done things differently. Absolutely agree. Um, but equally
2: important, I guess, is to understand what's happening at the time. And it's not to excuse it in any way.
1: This is not, not a defense of that. Um, but yeah. I mean, quite the contrary. It's a it's a very good. E- I'm sorry to cut you off. There. No, no, no. Okay. Well, it's a good example yeah. just to showcase that there were inequalities in Completely. on the BBC. Like they're not yeah. entirely without faults. They're they're mirroring the society of their day. Yeah.
2: No, I, and for that reason, I think it's it's probably the the most illustrative. There's there's a number of others. I've also had on this list um, uh, something like The Web of Fear, which is also c- considered perhaps like a classic yeah. uh, base under siege. But, that was my runner-up.
1: Oh, yeah. I can un-
2: totally understand why. London Underground Yeti. Like, exactly. It's just totemic in the same way that Starlux over Westminster Bridge. Exactly. We were before.
1: And it's so it's so claustrophobic. It mm. introduces bagels. It yeah. has, it, it, Troughton is terrific in it. He really like, is. Just straight up terrific. And there's such incredible chemistry between him and... I was going to say Bagels, but him and everyone. Yeah. He's just bouncing off everything. He's It's an episode or a serial that proves that he can act with anyone. Yes, that's a really good point. <laughs> and he is wonderful to watch when he's on screen, regardless of what he's doing.
2: It's so true. Yeah, Troughton's probably the most underserved uh, and ridiculously over-talented uh, lead in the world, yeah. I think. I think... Had he had better scripts, I think we would we would look on his era as just a golden age of the show. Yeah.
1: yeah. He also suffers from being the last black and white Doctor Who.
2: And also lots of missing episodes as well. Like, oh, that's true. We're, we're yes, We're relying certainly. more and more so on animations for for the Troughton period, which that's is That's a good point. But th- we are clearly missing so many grace notes that that, that sort of very expressive yeah. face of his would... Like, we don't know what we we're not seeing because... There's a really great example, and uh, this is uh, another story that I've got on my list in terms of honourable mentions in The Invasion. Oh, yeah? Where he's being trailed by uh, Benton and Unit, and uh, he and Jamie decide, well, they're going to sit down and play some cards and just the look on his face. Oh, my face God, I remember that scene. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's an ad-lib. It's an absolute ad-lib. It's like, well, what else are we, have we lost? Because they were just ad-libbing it on the day. Yeah. Uh, that's the type of actor that Trouton was, I think. And we've, we've, we've lost that forever.
1: In retrospect, I get Robin Williams vibes off him. Oh,
2: that's a really good call. I never thought of that.
1: Right? Yeah. Like it, absolute madcap. Exactly. Unpredictable. Genius, yeah. Uh, incredibly humorous. Yeah. And, and quick. Yeah. I don't know about his wit, I don't know about him off script. In terms of his wit, but he's he's quick to react to everything.
2: Well, a lot of a lot of it is him improvising, even the dialogue. Uh, well, yeah. So that, you know, it's written on the page, but he only ever saw it as a guide. Um, so later, when oh, he acts with uh, what a what a guide, uh, yeah, absolutely. So I think this is what I'm talking about—that sort of mercurial aspect of Troun, which is so inherent to the mercurial aspect of the Doctor. Yeah, uh, we've, we've lost so much. Th- of
1: that. No one is beholden to a script. If if they are capable <laughs> of portraying this character, inhabiting this character, then yeah, you know, why restrict yourself? To words written by some mere mortal. <laughs> I'm sure the BBC loved it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> My best one was the Moonbase, which is what I thought you were oh, getting at yeah. when you were talking about Base Under Siege. Sure. Because it is a terrific Base Under Siege cereal, it has the best use of sugar. Oh, completely. Yeah. (laughs) Solid companion work from PB and J. Yes. Although at the same time being quite sexist in the sense that yes, Polly makes the coffee. (laughs) She will be making. Oh, I thought it was tea, but yeah she's absolutely serving hot beverages. It has some fantastic set pieces. It has some terrific visuals. Yeah. The Cybermen who are walking in slow motion across the the lunar landscape. My goodness. Yeah. More of that, please.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's that wonderful grace note again. Troughton pulls it off. I think it's an, it is definitely an episode two where he talks about uh, dark corners of the universe that have bred the most terrible evils that they m- and they must be fought. It's, it's a mission statement for what Doctor Who is during the Troughton years. You know, he's the, he is what, I guess, um, later on, I think it's um, the Tenant Doctor says, I am what, you know, the Doctor is what monsters have nightmares about. I yeah. think it's wonderful.
1: I think it's wonderful. <laughs> uh, I, Podcast Land, imagine that I have goosebumps. You're not far from the truth. <laughs> Oh, very good. Yeah, what's your worst one? Um, look,
2: there's a number, and this is it. Like whether it's highly derivative, based under siege stories that are wearing out the formula that aren't very good. And hey, like I said before, there's ex- there's episodes of the Avengers that are exactly the same. You know, yeah. episodes of the Saint that are exactly the same. Episodes of Danger Man that are exactly the same. This is television made in Britain in the sixties for an American market, I guess, or you know, looking to 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 sell it to the American market. So any number of those you could say, but. Um, there's three that I can think of. Oh uh, One in third place, The Underwater Menace, which is a yeah. horrific mess of a story. Like, yep. It just doesn't work in any way. And of course, you know, Professor Zaroff screaming, nothing in the world can stop me now is just like enough f- to have anyone switch off the television and not
1: come back. Yeah, that's a <laughs> that's Flash Gordon without the charm. Yes, <laughs>
2: well done. That's an absolutely perfect summary. Uh, the second one that I would say is um, the Dominators, which is yeah, I toyed with that one. Just like a, it's awful. It's it's awful in many ways, not least in the sense that it's an allegory against people who are against the Vietnam War, <laughs> and it's, it's like it's on the side of the fascists. It's like I'm I can't I can't have any truck with that. But the one that I have chosen as the one that would be the very worst, not least because most of its episodes are missing, but even if we had it back, I don't think it would be very good, it's the Space Pirates. Oh, I didn't think about that one. With Milo Clancy just being an insufferable fool and Jack May playing it horrifically straight (laughs) in probably a way that really undermines the rest of the cast. And, um, you know, the Doctor, uh, Zoe and Jamie – Largely being absent, then, you know, they're away from the story for most. And there's, hmm. there's technical reasons for that. They're off shooting um, location for the war games, which I actually have on my list as one of the best. But the Space okay. Pirates for me yeah, would just be maybe where, you know, the second Doctor's era falls in an exhausted heap and says, I give up. <laughs>
1: it's it's yep. that bad. That's a solid pick. I had not considered that. But also I don't remember it well enough necessarily. But but I, I don't blame you. I, I hadn't it might be one that I need to revisit just to remind myself of even how disenchanting it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. I had the mind robber.
2: Oh gosh, wow.
1: Okay, talk me through this. Okay, so I'm picking this very much for the same reasons as Celestial Toy Maker for Interesting. Doc number one. Okay. First off, I don't find that it is representative of Doctor Who. So, I mean, we're not talking about best and worst episode. We're talking That's about best and one. worst episode to introduce someone yeah. to the show. And I don't find that it is representative enough of the show so that if you're even if you're managing to convince someone to watch it based on this, the next time they watch it or another episode, they're gonna be disappointed because they were expecting it to be some fairy tale bullshit. So <laughs> so unfortunately it falls on that already. But secondly, it's In the last act, again, this is something that I haven't watched since we reviewed it on Mm -hmm. him back when. So we're talking like eight years ago or something. But as I recall, the end of, in fact, like the end of, is it the end of act two? We're sort of slipping into act three. We now know the conceit that there is the writer who's been taken over by whatever it is. The master of the land of fiction. That's it. Yeah. That conceit does not hold up at the end of act three. It's raised as the, wow, what a twist. Wait, this is way cleverer than I thought. I thought you just happened to have a lot of spare costumes from the set (laughs) next door, and you're just thinking of reasons to use it. All these (laughs) fictional characters, like, uh, I don't know, whatever, Gulliver Gulliver and, uh, yeah. You know what? The only cool character there? The superhero can't remember his name now the carcass the carcass <laughs> The, the carcass is is so redonkulously ahead of his time he's terrible but he's basically everything that i hate about the marvel universe <laughs> and it, it's it's so prescient sure but then when we get to the end of the serial as i recall i was terribly disappointed by the reveal of the writer who's just sort of he wakes up from it in some way mm. doesn't he well, so what happened? Is it not, Are we not talking about the narrative drive of a writer being the potential power source of an entire evil dimension or something to that effect? <laughs> I and mean, we, it never comes to fruition. So for that reason, it just leaves. A, it's a, it's a bittersweet experience watching it.
2: That's that's a really great. Explanation of a story that I think probably rates quite highly for me, but I think you're right. It doesn't stick the landing and the concept of a land of fiction, what you can do in terms of metafiction through a fictional text like Doctor Who is I don't know if it's if that promise is fulfilled. And you do get at the end, uh, you know, the Doctor defeats them, you know, because they're trying to invade Earth. For what reason now? Yeah. Again? Like, we're doing this again? Like, that it kind of loses touch with its magic, I guess. That whole idea of fiction and metafiction is lost in that in that final third act you're right.
1: Yeah, I can mm-hmm. see that. All right. Well, great. <laughs> <laughs> Is the second doctor a good doctor to introduce someone to? From scratch, you've never ever seen any Doctor Who whatsoever, Troughton, an episode that exists, let's say.
2: Well, I'll say this. When Stephen Moffat cast uh, Matt Smith, yeah, one of the things that he first lent him was Tomb of the Sidemen. And Pat's performance in that was so energetic that at something like 1 a.m. in the morning, Matt called Moffat up and, and said, oh, my God, oh, my God. I'm, he, like, he was so thrilled to bits with Troughton's Doctor. And I was like, <laughs> this is how I'm going to play it. And I think there's, oh, there's something in that. There's something definitive about patrick troughton's performance that it's not just matt smith there's many other doctors that are so influenced by his interpretation of the role yeah so i think it's worth it i don't know whether it'd be the first story that you necessarily throw at them but hey it seemed to work for matt smith
1: yeah oh this makes me very curious to find i mean so this is after he has been cast already yeah yeah makes me very curious to find out what was he like during the audition
2: oh i'd love to know yeah fascinating stuff
1: yeah, absolutely.
2: Apparently the story is that Matt Smith was the, was the first doctor that they, or first audition that they saw, and
1: were immediately taken by. Yeah, it was just
2: like, yeah, we found our doctor.
1: I don't blame them. I love Matt Smith. Yeah, absolutely. He's terrific. He's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Not Should- least because he's so Troutnesque. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Mm.
2: I reversed the polarity of the
1: neutron flow. Shall we move on to the third doctor? Yeah, let's do this. Holy smokes, it's in full colour. <laughs> wow. <laughs> He's wearing a lot of velvet. There's a lot of velour in this, actually. It <laughs> so 70's. It's so seventies. Oh, it's so glamorous. Oh, it's amazing.
2: Technicolor. I love it. Yeah. Um, this is an era of the show that, um, again, I came to through the Tarkin novelizations and I really adored the stories. I think they were imaginative. They were Earth based, so there was sort of peril attached to that. Um, again, you know, one of the things that Russell does when he gets the show and, and brings it back in 2005 is that he sets it almost predominantly on Earth. Or yeah. within you know Earth's orbit or whatever, and that's really critical because people identify with that. They don't identify as with what Russell says, you know, zog monsters on the planet zog being yeah. doing zog things to one another. <laughs> so so there's there's real resonance of, and and sort of almost identification, I guess, with the the unit you know per, we on Earth era. And I love the story of the exile finding a home in this place of exile. I think there's something – I mean, it speaks to me personally in my own experience, but there's also just something beautiful about that, that story arc, which really pays off. And the way that, you know, the short, sharp, you know, very nasty, you almost sometimes doctor really mellows and you get that sort of cuddly teddy bear figure that you get towards, you know, se- uh, season 10 and 11, which, I- so I'm just raving about the Pooh era, I think. Oh my God, go for it. Um, but the story that I would pick is the story that really sets up the tone of that entire era and it's Terror of the Autons. Oh, that's a good choice. You have the master introduced. Exactly, yeah. The brigadier is there as and, and uh, um, Benton as well. But, you know, we have Captain Mike Yates introduced. Yeah. Joe Grant is introduced. And this is, I can't underestimate, like, uh, underscore this enough. Joe Grant is the archetype of the Doctor Who companion. Everything comes from her. So when you look at, you know, um, Billy Piper... When you look at um, you know Karen Gillan, these are the young female, very sort of bright and energetic, and you know independent young women, and uh, you know soul women, uh, young woman who accompanies the, the figure of the Doctor, and it's like that pair, that that silhouette, I guess, is sure is is so iconic, and it happens for the first time with uh, Katie Manning with Joe.
1: There's a I, I find Joe more trustworthy and capable than mm. I do Rose, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah, there's there's more experience. I mean, she also plays. She plays plays a grown up. <laughs> like she's an adult, or she's and, a spy. Or yeah, exactly. A so trained spy. Yeah, versus Rose, who's a a kid, a teenager. Okay. So there's there's already there's more life experience. There's mm. Doc is. I mean, he's centuries old, but he'll have more ex- more in common with an adult. And she works for Does she work for units? Is she, she like a scientist yeah. who works for units. No, that's Liz sure. But sh- she's um, basically a trained spy Who's attached to the doctors Right and assistants. Yeah, yeah, no, you're sorry You're absolutely, yeah, sorry So there's an element of authority there There's an, there's certainly an element of agency okay. And it pairs really well Like there's a gung-ho energy to her That Pertwee certainly embodies himself
2: Yeah, yeah I can I can see what you're saying. I guess for me, despite the fact that, you know, she's a trained spy and all the rest of it, and she's pretty competent, there is a character arc that um Joe goes through and she does grow in the role and the doc and she helps sort of round off the doctor and make yeah. him less I think that's what Rose does in exactly the same way. Um, You know, she grows up uh, and and becomes, you know, her own independent young woman, Uh, but also she helps to, I guess, round off the edges of the post-traumatic stress disorder doctor in terms of Eccleston, you know, post-war you know, the time war. And at the end of pert we, we have that sort of bright, lovable character. Well, that's the Tennant Doctor as well. So yeah. I, th- I think there is a conscious paralleling that Russell does to to that um, that era.
1: Oh, that's... Uh, I love that as a reading. That's impeccable. There's, there is, I think, a very clear distingu- distinguishing... Like, there's a clear difference in the portrayal of Rose with Eccleston and then with Tennant. I don't know if yeah. she does much grow growing herself. As an as as an individual character, I don't know if she develops that much under Eccleston, but she does influence him to grow. Oh, and develop. absolutely! Yeah, Whereas yeah. with Tennant, she starts like the focus starts to shift to her a little bit, and she actually gets to develop that character. Uh, no, you nailed it. <laughs> well, oh. thanks. So yeah, Terror of the Autons would be my pick. That's for a that. very good choice. I
2: have a couple of other runners up. Oh yeah, well, um, I think Spearhead from Space. Yeah, that was mine. It's just a, like we think about. How many times Doctor Who has been rebooted or soft rebooted? So you look at the TV movie. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys have done that
1: yet. I'm not no, sure. No, we have. haven't. So, oh well, we're we're going to do it post McCoy. Yeah.
2: I, okay. So I mean, you'll notice the parallels in terms of what it's borrowing from *Spearhead from Space*, but also, yeah. the exact same thing happens with the 11th Hour. There are in, there are sort of you know passages and motifs that are borrowed f- directly from *Spearhead oh, from Space*. interesting. And just one example: the Doctor in the hospital picking his costume is yeah. like that is just a throwback to. That's Spearhead. exactly it. Yeah. It's like a loving nod. after 3s
1: climbed out of the shower. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's so true. So,
2: yeah, I think Spearhead as well would be a really good one to start with.
1: Yeah, it also introduces another one of these seminal classic foes. Uh, as in classic Who foes The autumns, that who yeah. Who have lasted well into the reboot
2: And what happens in the first episode of the reboot
1: with Rose? The Autons Absolutely So it's it, Yeah, no the, You're so very, very right That That's uh, I mean, I say this as someone who picked the same thing The, the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah it, here's, it, who's, here's someone who agrees with it Yeah, exactly Hey, <laughs> yeah, you're my friend who agrees with it The, the um, Yeah It does such a good job of introducing Doctor Who When Doctor Who is just different enough from what it used to be Yeah yeah, that it it works even as an introduction today. Yeah, I mean, it, it Doctor Who at this point is in color. It's much more action packed. Mm-hmm. It has a much more vivacious and vibrant Doctor. It's landlocked. Yeah, there's there are so many changes going on. It has a very different score. Mm. Um, it, the, everything is more. I don't want to say dynamic because I don't want to belittle Troughton's era. But it it is in many ways more of its time than Trouton's was.
2: It it comes from the transition away from black and white, which, as you said before, would put off a lot of modern viewers into colour and shot on film. So it's not just colour. It's this vibrant, gorgeous, deep, technicolour version of... Which we actually don't see again because it's it's the only one that's filmed entirely on film, um, due to a BBC strike in oh, terms right. of internal. I didn't know.
1: Yeah, so, so that's that's the reason why. But so we go to video after this. Is that it?
2: Um, we go to video. We keep video for um, largely the internal. Um, studio shots Uh and we use film for external although later on in the 70s that changes as well but this is the only one that's shot entirely on film and it looks gorgeous
1: it is it's stunning yeah you've got that insane B plot of the um The country bumpkin who finds the, the auton. Seeley, yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the auton ball or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah, that attracts autons. Oh, yeah, no, it's fantastic. Mm. Yeah, very good. Uh, my runner up was I know this is a bad choice. Go on Invasion of the Dinosaurs. I actually had that as my third. No way. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we definitely are the friends who agree (laughs) with each other. It's such a good episode to introduce someone new to who to. Yeah. It has time travel, but without all the mechanics of the TARDIS. So you're not necessarily, you're not distracting people with that. You don't have to press pause and go, right, okay, hang on, let me explain this to you. <laughs> so it, it, it has all that inherent logic. Yeah. It has a fantastic Professor Bumbletron. It has Absolutely. incorrect, like the dinosaur effects are insane. The stop motion stuff, the <laughs> dumb, <laughs> screaming Tyrannosaurus who bursts through a brick wall.
2: <laughs> on a number of occasions,
1: yeah. On a number, of, I've only re- I only remember the one time. <laughs> no, I think you're right, the burst through the wall um, one time, but like that seems to be the cliffhanger almost every other episode oh no like, you're right like it's a factory or something or a warehouse uh, yeah yeah that's where it's It's down. on the other side of a, gl- a pane of glass yeah it's like <laughs> you can't get through i'm a t-rex <laughs> i'm i'm more
2: than happy to like forgive all of the crappy sort of dinosaur special effects because it's just a wonderful script it's yeah. a
1: cr- wonderful story it is it has the very tasteful kind of kitsch that you can associate with the show as well. I mean, there's very bad kitsch as well, but this is, it's cheesy in a horribly, horribly attractive way. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't get enough of it. Yeah,
2: And there's also, again, in terms of new audiences, there's a really strong political message to this one. Yeah. Um, You know, in terms of um, uh, the environmental angle, but it's also this whole thing about, um, you know, I guess the brainwashing of people, you know, these people have come to believe that they're going to fly to a new planet and start a new colony. Yeah, Uh, And one of them, I love that line where he says, I sold my house. I looked into this. I sold my house. I looked into this very carefully. I sold my house. (laughs) I love that guy. It's so good. Yeah. But this this is Mac Hulk, isn't it? Um, And he always in his scripts has like a very strong moral and political message. And I think it's wonderful.
1: What else did he write?
2: Uh, So he also wrote or part wrote um, Ambassadors of Death. Okay. There's also Colony in Space. Right. Yeah. Uh, We have uh, the Sea Devils. Uh He wrote that. Um, He wrote Frontier in Space and Invasion of the Dinosaurs.
1: Oh, frontier in space is the Dr- Draconians, is That's it? The one. Yeah. He
2: also co-wrote with Terence are uh, *The War Games*, for, so the last right, yeah. um, *Traveller* story. Yeah. So amazing stories, all of them.
1: Yeah. I considered *War Games*, by the way. Me too. Under under trousers. All right. So an utter legend. This is something that I really appreciate about your podcast, by the way. I mean, you you know, and also just like walking around Oxford and chatting about this with you, like (laughs) you know, shut up. Like you know, everyone who wrote everything, which is spectacular. And I don't know why, but I never even tried to commit any of it. No, it's it's a
2: misspent (laughs) youth.
1: No, I think it's a very well spent youth. That's that's a solid investment of time. There's another episode, another, sorry, uh, cycling back to the third doctor. There's another episode. I can't remember what it's called now. It features the ogrons. Yes. And a tricycle chase. <laughs> it's Day of the Daleks. Is that Day of the Daleks, yeah. yeah.
2: I, th- I think that's a good, uh, we have actually featured on U2 as a good st- sort of jumping on point. Okay, Because it's. It's Earth, it's UNIT, it's the third Doctor, all of that sort of stuff. But it's yeah. also got Daleks and the whole... What you were saying before, the time travel thing. Not through the TARDIS, but through. Exactly. I think that would be a really good... Just sort of like, here's a taste. Here's what it can do and look like and feel. I think that's a good choice.
1: Yeah, this is the the whole thing that... I mean, we talk about it so many times. that It's a, it's a time travel TV show. Yeah. And very often time travel is only used as the instigator yeah. for a story that has nothing to do with time travel. Mm-hmm. And to... Weave that in In a very creative way Into the plot This is something it has in common With Invasion of the Dinosaurs Yeah Where time travel is just It's implemented in a way That you would Normally not anticipate Yeah And it's clever enough To be a, a, an effective hook Absolutely
2: Yeah oh. Oh, That's a good choice And also It's the Terminator uh, 12 years before Hollywood does it
1: Oh my god That's just blown my mind <laughs> <laughs>
2: There is some talk about whether, um, you know, the writers of, of The Terminator were in some way influenced perhaps by like a late night repeat of oh, really? Day of the Daleks on some PBS channel and they <laughs> totally forgot about it. But honestly, that plot is absolutely sky... You know, the whole thing about um, uh, basically Daleks coming from the future. From the future. Yeah, to, to,
1: to, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I need to rewatch that. Fantastic. What about a bad episode to introduce someone to with the third Doctor? Do you know... This, I, well, of course, there's
2: there's going to be one or two that you can pick. But what I will say in the Pertwee era's defence, and largely down to Barry Letts and Terrence Dicks, is that there is never one episode or story where you think, unlike previously in Doctor Who or afterwards in Doctor Who, this is unwatchable. Yeah, it, for, where it falls below the level of production standard that you would expect of you know a, a BBC mainstream television show. Yeah. So I think they're massively responsible for bringing the the. This, I think, I guess like the floor of Doctor Who up to a really high level and more often than not, like the ceiling is very high. So when we talk about lows in the Pertwee era, we're not talking about low lows like the Dominators. Certainly not. We're talking about Mediocre. And the only one that I could really think at of... At worst. Well, yeah, at worst, yeah. And well, there's two that I can think of, but the one that I would say is the weakest of the entire Pertwee era is Monster of Peladon. It's the, it's the follow-up or the sequel to... A pretty decent cursor pedal, cursor yeah. It's six parts. It's worn out. It sort of does. That's uh,
1: that's a good point. Thing. I'm going so, to find out what I gave that. So I would say that one. But oh yikes! I gave it 2.0. Yeah, it's not great, is yeah. it? Yeah. But but still, I I still really enjoy it. Well,
2: you know, 2.0, it's not 0.5. No, that's true. I wonder what the
1: worst one, uh, as in what I gave the lowest score. Oh, the lowest per week. That would be interesting to know, actually, yeah. Death to the Daleks, I gave 1.6, and I know that doesn't deserve 1.6. I need to re-review that at some point. I don't think it's
2: good either. It's about as fulfilling as a packet of crisps for dinner, (laughs)
1: that one. Uh, I mean, that's not too bad a dinner. (laughs) It's one of your five a day. Um, (laughs) One of your five packs of crisps a day. (laughs) I think Death to the Daleks is the lowest one. Yeah. 1. 1.6. It's very derivative,
2: so I was going to say *Monster Peladon* because it's probably the most derivative. But again, it's not unwatchable in the same way that *The Dominator* is unwatchable. The other, only other one that I can think of that sort of runs it close in terms of just sheer boredom, like it's just like, oh god, it's six episodes and it's trudging along. Uh-huh. It's *The Mutants*, which oh. is a bit of a laboured allegory and kind of a bit lame.
1: Yeah, I mean that is true. Uh, however, it it has that fairly interesting concept of the metamorphosis in uh, within. ...inherent to their species. Mm,
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, there's a sort of post-colonial thing about it as well. There's a i mean it's not again it's not unwatchable it's just that it kind of is a
1: bit dull i've just looked it up i gave it 4.1 oh wow yeah i, okay. do, I, I don't remember why <laughs> maybe i'll re-listen to that and, and decide no, i, I, I love, don't know what that was I i'm gonna re-review that it. you have found something <laughs>
2: amazing about it i mean again i read the novelization and loved it it was 120 pages it didn't feel like a slog but when, yeah. we, when i came back to watch many years later the sixth part i was just like oh my god yeah, yeah someone is... please just kill me now <laughs> is it not time for um, me to metamorph <laughs> what
1: is this I I reviewed that with Nick, who gave it four point four. Oh wow! Yeah, and again,
2: I- probably because you know there is that great sci-fi idea about you know the long, long um, sort of evolutionary period of or you know stages of of that of the the race of mutants or whatever they're called. Yeah. And that whole post colonial thing, I think, is really worthy as well. So, there's, again, there's, there's enough there to sort of keep you going.
1: But. It, it might be straightforward and templated enough to be a, a, an easy introduction to Doctor Who. Maybe. Like it doesn't demonstrate any of the complexity of the show. Maybe, yeah. But, it, yeah. I, my, my pick for worst is by no means a bad episode. Mm-hmm. I love this serial. But I have picked it because I think it is best appreciated if you already have a history with the show. Okay, and it is Inferno. Oh wow! Inferno is a fantastic episode, but it would be like introducing someone to Star Trek with you know the evil universe mm-hmm. episodes, right? Like, oh right, yeah. So Spock has a goatee. I get it. He's a bad guy. No, 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 no. You don't understand. This is the exception that proves the rule. He's actually very neutral. <laughs> I get so, it. so Inferno here. It just doesn't really work. And then the disco werewolves don't really sell it either. (laughs) But it's just that it presupposes that you know the characters already. In order to be able to be shocked by bagels not being bagels, you need to know bagels.
2: Yeah. I think that's a really good call. I'm not going to say too much about it because there's a point later on that I will talk about. But essentially, if you're looking at the best episode... Or a really, really good episode it, That doesn't necessarily mean it's a good starting point yeah. I think that's a really good call
1: out Oh yeah, I mean, this is by no means a best and worst listing No, 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 no. Uh, Yeah, uh, podcast land, pens down <laughs> 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 For those of you who have already sent in hate mail Yeah, sucks to be you <laughs> 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 Yeah, I, okay, good Oh, I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad that I didn't uh, no, defame Doctor Who by mentioning that No, but- I, I understand your point, absolutely uh, cocktail break and then fourth doctor? Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> you're not fit yet. Not fit. I'm the doctor.
2: No, doctor. I'm the doctor, and I say that you're not fit. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor.
0: The definite article, you might say.
1: Okie dokie. So we are progressing. Uh, full disclosure, we took a cocktail break there. Uh, we are now sipping on bonus. <laughs> <laughs> Signature cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> so honored. Cheers. Mm, cheers. Mm. Delicious. Okay, so, fourth Doctor. Here's my pick for best... uh, Undoubtedly best... (laughs) You know exactly what's coming. Absolutely, I do. (laughs) And everyone listening does too. (laughs) This is not just a terrific episode to introduce someone to Doctor Who with, I think. And I will dig into it. But it is also one of the best episodes of the Tom Baker era, (laughs) certainly one of the best episodes of the Classic Who era, Mm. and quite possibly one of the best episodes to date. Yeah, yeah. It's one of, let's say, three or four that are just perpetually going to be 5.0s in my book. (laughs) Uh, And in this case, I'm talking about Seeds of Doom. Yes, you are. Oh my God. (laughs) What an episode. It has... Uh, ethical conflicts it has a james bond bad guy Mm. it has spectacular gruesome special effects that that tentacle is all over the place Mm. tom baker is i don't have the words to describe (laughs) how enamored i am with his performance in this serial yeah whether he's in the arctic or cowabunguing in through a glass ceiling (laughs) it's such a Tempestuous and atmospheric serial. Yeah, that I cannot recommend it enough. And it, it is, in fact, I'm I'm done. I'm not saying a word in the best category for the rest of this episode. <laughs> That's it. The best Fifth Doctor episode I can recommend is Seeds of Doom with the Fourth Doctor. <laughs>
2: it's superb, right? It is. Uh, it is Hinchcliffe and Holmes at their zenith. They have uh, Robert Stewart back banks coming back after writing Terror of the Zygons to write Oh, yeah. A Doctor Who-ified version of his script for The Avengers, The Man-Eater of Surrey Green, which if you oh. haven't seen, I'm sure you can find it in some courses. I may courses, have seen it. You know. I saw
1: a lot of Avengers as a kid, but I don't remember So it's a Black it. and
2: White Emma Peel episode. Okay. Um, and it's it's basically uh, a, a dry run at Seeds of Doom, except you've got Stephen Peel. Oh, my it, God. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Um, but this is like the perfected form of that script. Amelia Ducar is oh. a joy... <laughs>
1: Oh, (laughs) Uh, Mrs. Duckett. (laughs) (laughs) The foremost, uh, was it the uh, botanical artists of uh, whichever shire they're in.
2: (laughs) And it works so well because even though it's six episodes, it never drags. The first two episodes are set in the Antarctic yeah, and it feels like a different story. Oh yeah, Antarctic. Sorry, of course. I said Uh, Arctic, didn't I? No, well, we know what you meant. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It feels like a prelude to then uh, a different story in the sense that you've changed the location, you've changed the
1: villain. And the stakes. And the
2: stakes, completely right. Mm. And that that then becomes a four-parter. And We know four-parters are so much tighter than um, six-parters. So I think that is working for it as well. There isn't an aspect of this production that is in any way wanting. It's superb Doctor Who.
1: I don't know how they managed to build the sets and find the locations for this one. Everything is so convincing. Mm. that those first two episodes... Before we head to the estates Yeah We have a story that I mean Exactly as you said It sets up a different story And the story that it sets up In my mind Is either Sort of a The Thing Or Absolutely. maybe Ice Warriors it's Like oh, the original yes. Ice okay. Warriors no,
2: It's very much drawing from The Thing from Outer Space or the,
1: or Right Yeah
2: it's, it's it's John Carpenter's The Thing is 1982 Is
1: that right? Wait, but that's a Oh I see Yeah Which is in itself A remake Absolutely Of The Thing from Outer Space Yeah Yeah Right. Yeah. 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 So wait. So which year is this? Which year is it?
2: 19, I want to say 76. Okay. Yes. Yes. 75 or 76 around about then. So it's obviously drawing on the old Hollywood version of it, but it's the same story. We know what it is. It's exactly the same story,
1: but it could very easily just have remained on that base. Mm-hmm. You could have had the Ice Warrior episode, ah, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. with the um, uh, Crinoid. Yeah. And that would have already been a great show. I would have loved that to be. For sure but then to introduce that megalomaniac who on some weird level thinks that he's a plant mm, Harrison <laughs> Chase, yes. and who manages to fulfill his destiny and become one. <laughs> it, it, it's brilliant. Yeah. Oh my goodness. The, the mulching machine. How <laughs> grim is that? Isn't that just the, Oh yeah, no, I, have, I I'm turning this into the seeds of doom podcast. <laughs> it's such a good serial. I love it to bits.
2: Yeah. I think it's a great choice. Absolutely. Not just in terms of, it being a great place to start, but it just it being a great story as well. No, I, I'm fully behind that. Absolutely. I have a different story. Okay. And it is City of Death. Oh, interesting. And this is the difference between Hinchcliffe and the Williams hero. Hinchcliffe is wonderful. I think if I had to pick one classic series uh, that maybe is just chock-a-block full of my favorite stories, is probably season 13. Interesting. I, I think it's superb. You know, Terror of the Zygons is in there, etc., etc. et cetera. But the Williams era has a very different take on Doctor Who, whereas Hinchcliffe and Holmes go to Hollywood and old Hammer Horror. Williams really sort of has a l- much lighter and brighter approach to Doctor Who. It's not as, as, as sort of grim and nasty, perhaps, in some instances, although I love those those types of stories like Seeds of Doom, as you say. See, Genesis of the Daleks is also my second choice on here. Okay, But City of Death has... Just the joy of the doctor and Romana traipsing about Paris. There's the whole caper thing about the Mona Lisa. There's the wimey stuff in terms of uh, Count Scarlioni and He's uh, splintered across time. Splintered across time, and of course that sort of comical resolution where Duggan punches him, and that's yeah. that's Duggan is
1: wonderful as sidekicks go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he's basically
2: a human canine. it's it's, it's wonderful <laughs>
1: I love that that's such a good <laughs> way of representing him. Yes, you're right. So I think, I think that story
2: and and it sings in terms of its its dialogue, its production. The music is wonderful. Dudley Simpson is on fire. The direction is wonderful as well. It's just like a perfect storm yeah of a of a Doctor Who story. and you know it's a very good choice. We were so lucky to have Douglas Adams scripted and write for Doctor Who. yeah. So yeah, that would be my it, choice.
1: It has such humor from Tom Baker. Mm. There are a number of scenes. In fact, there are. There's humor delivered by pretty much everyone, including the the scientist who invents the time Tarinsky, machine. Yes. Um, John Cleese obviously shows up in this oh, little cameo. Of course. So there's a there's a lot of humor, but the one that stands out, the bit that stands out for me with Tom Baker is when they've been captured, <sighs> or not captured. They've basically been cornered. Yes. Uh, <laughs> And he's constantly, I feel like he's constantly interrupting or telling the bodyguards, the, bodyguard, the henchmen, mm. just like, stop it. Hang on. We're having a conversation over here. He's <laughs> like, you do understand that you're in grave danger. This is a, you're, you're in a very perilous circumstance. Um, but he doesn't care. He's so fly by night. He's so cavalier about all the risk that mm. he's, it, not just he, but also his companion. And presumably at this point, I mean, at least off screen, his love. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. They're nowhere near safe. Their chemistry resonates on screen in a positive nature, just like the cavalier nature in which he treats Romana contrasts with what we know is going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. It's an inspired choice.
2: Yeah, I I just think, you know, and you're probably right, the chemistry between those two really sort of sells. It's just, it's fun to watch. Here's the Doctor you know, against a megalomaniacal villain and he's laughing and smiling the whole way. Because because Doctor Who should be fun and it is fun. And this is, you know, one of those stories that really illustrates that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: By the way, that white suit, that white three piece. (laughs) So 70s. My God. (laughs) I need it. I need it so bad. The convoluted way in which he wants to, I mean, effectively, it's a heist where he wants to make money in order to fund research into a devious, <laughs> a devious implementation of time travel technology, it's so dumb. It's <laughs> it's fantastic. It's something, actually, that very recently we reviewed... Have I dropped it already? I'm not sure. Attack of the Cybermen. Mm-hmm. And I probably ha- yeah, I have... I have. I've it. been listening to it, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you. In that one, you have... I've already forgotten his name. Lytton. Lytton, yes. Lytton, who is committing crimes in order to fund research and equipment in order to send distress signals into outer space yeah so you have the same kind of you know nefarious deeds in order to promote science in order to promote nefarious deeds <laughs> 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 yeah. and it works yeah, yeah.
2: no I, I think it's it's rightfully um One of those that's just considered an all-time classic. So City of Death would be my choice.
1: I mean, you mentioned Genesis of the Daleks as a runner-up. Yeah, I did. And that's probably at the
2: polar opposite of, um, you know, the sort of gun and frock. Uh, yeah. sort of spectrum here. You know,
1: Please talk podcast land through this.
2: Oh, okay. Um, uh, it's something that I guess um, has been around for a long time, but this idea that um, Doctor Who stories can be either gun or frock, like a gun story is one, like Seeds of Doom, like Genesis of the Daleks, which yeah. are you know quite serious. There's a lot of sort of violence or implicit or, or actual, and it's a bit sort of gritty. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas frock is something like City of Death, which is just fun and hilarious and crazy and you know a bit of a panto. So, I guess that's the difference between the two of them. And I, I love both types, obviously. But Genesis of the Dialects is, even though it is at the opposite end, I guess, of that gun and frock spectrum from City of Death, a story that I absolutely adore. Mm. I have no problem with the giant clams. I have no problem with the fact that sexual it's sexual imagery. Parts. I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that does it for me, and I think the thing that really sums up Doctor Who in a scene is the dialogue between the Doctor and Davros. And Davros, yeah. Wow. You put two actors like that, such incredibly talented actors like that, together in a room, and you give them Bob Holmes' dialogue that has just been made to sing from the, from the Terry Nation script. Yeah. And you effectively play out you know, the dichotomy of moral philosophy between good and evil. That's Doctor Who right there in, in a scene It's Between it's the two incredible. and also
1: Even just internal to the Doctor Yeah I mean he goes through a tremendous ethical quandary it, What's right, what is wrong the, does, yeah. the, the standard Do to, I have the right? Exactly, yeah I mean, you, you can travel through time Do you want to go back and kill baby Hitler? Like it's mm-hmm. the same thing <laughs> This is the baby Daleks Yeah Yeah, it's a very powerful serial Devil's advocate Yes do you not need to know the Daleks before watching it?
2: No, because the Daleks are barely in it. Davros is introduced for the first time and
1: That's true, but conceptually
2: they are there. Yeah, I guess so. I mean
1: maybe actually maybe I'm overthinking it.
2: Hmm, not sure. It's probably a valid point, but I th- I still think it stands. I th- I still think you can watch that and, and you probably know enough. You know, oh yeah, I know the shape of a Dalek. I know that the, they're bad guys. Yeah, they're yeah. the Doctor's mortal enemy or whatever yeah, the that's case right. is, and that's all you need to know.
1: In fact, he probably spells it out in the episode. So serial, damn it. So he, he probably spells it out. So yeah, for anyone yeah. who isn't sure, it must be clear. Actually, yeah, I take it back. I'm reading too much into it. <laughs> I, I'm trying to be contrarian no, for a, the sake of it. Point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you have any others on that list or was it just seeds of doom oh that's a good question i need to double check uh no it was seeds of doom wait why <laughs> did i have to check there are no other contenders no i mean sorry i do say that there are lots of episodes lots of serials a couple of which we spoke about earlier today yeah. <laughs> on our wanderings the android invasion that's oh, so much fun it's it, it's so fun it has a terrific acting we get to see benton um, and, and harry as well oh yeah and harry you're right you have the the very strange i mean it's a it's actually not that strange it's a very straightforward plot uh, as in bad guy plot not plotted not narrative mm. but it's strange because it's so banal and childish that yes. it should not be it's not realistic yes. wait you you mastered interstellar travel but this is your plan <laughs> <laughs> and obviously yeah well, i mean we chuckled about the eyepatch earlier today like i mean it's such yeah. a there, there are such dumb elements to it absolutely but I think it would be hilarious to start someone off on it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and there's also a lot to
2: really enjoy. Like, I love the whole finger gun thing, like the astronauts with the finger guns. That's yeah. super superbly affecting. You mentioned this before as well when we were sort of strolling around. Sarah's face falling off yeah. and her Android duplicate being revealed to be a duplicate. But, you know, all of these things are really sort of cool moments. It's also just, again, it's fun to watch and and Tom and Liz strolling around in the English countryside on a sunny summer afternoon and there's a lot of that location shoot. It's just, it's lovely. It's really just pleasant to watch. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the stakes are very clear. Hmm. You don't need to know prior Doctor Who in order to understand it. You don't even really need to understand the, the concept of science fiction or you know the the conceit of oh the madman in a box. You don't need to understand any of it. Hmm. It's very clear. These two walnuts from or hazel no, walnuts from outer space. <laughs> they've decided we're gonna replace people and we're going to put them on earth (laughs) and this is the trial run and the protagonist has stumbled into it yeah yeah the dress rehearsal it's got that fabulous pub scene oh yeah july the 6th yikes caramba that was a good one
2: brilliant and you know what i'm not standing here and saying it's a fantastic episode of doctor who that's not really the point it is one of those stories that is kind of middle of the road for that era yeah. but hugely enjoyable and also illustrative of, as you say, like what Doctor Who can be. I think Terror of the Zygons is quite similar to it in terms, and probably more successful. Though, Actually, Terror it, of the
1: Zygons is a great choice.
2: But also has, you know, the the duplicates, the alien invasion, yep. Yep. Unit, the Nessie. Doctor. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. That too, too. A lot of
1: humour with just the, the, isn't it, I mean Tom Baker, I don't want to say he mocks the, Sc- the Scots, but he, <laughs> there, there are certainly a few moments that I'm sure there are people in Scotland who are like, is that really funny yeah. i mean <laughs> like, that's how we talk or that's yeah that's what we wear <laughs> yeah
2: no there's i think there are any number of tom baker stories that you could pick ark in space is another one that i had on my shorts oh by the way. yeah oh, i love that bubble one. wrap in space yeah magnificent
1: it's also a stunning episode like mm. it's an absolutely beautiful episode the set the spaceship set and the what's it called the insect oh the we the Weirin. Yeah. yeah beautiful prop yeah on production value alone, it could sway people. I mean, ultimately, that's what this episode of Who Back when is about. Propaganda <laughs> we, we're, we're trying to determine How do you How do you get people to join the cult <laughs> <laughs> And actually yeah that's, that's not a bad one
2: Yeah absolutely And and Ridley Scott I'm sure Watched Or saw Ark in space And like just There's influences there On the, the, yeah. on the Alien series There's no doubt Including aesthetic ones I think. Oh yeah uh, No completely Absolutely Oh
1: yeah nice Okay right Worst
2: mm-hmm. Do you want to start with this Or shall I <sighs>
1: I mean, I have i hate to say this, okay. um, we've already talked about my worst one. <laughs> I picked Genesis of the Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> it's magnificent. It's seminal. It's canonically important. It's an utterly legendary serial that flaunts d- d- stellar writing and acting talent. So why squander it on a noob? That, that's... <laughs> That's my view of it. You have actually talked me out of this. So I no longer stand by this opinion. (laughs) How dare you, past me? My thought was, you need to know about the terror of the Daleks, good episode name, by the way, in order to appreciate the downfall of the Daleks, or the potential downfall. I understand that, sure. the, The stakes for the Doctor are very clear, but the stakes for the Daleks, that's where... I I don't know if past me would have been able to sympathize and empathize with the Daleks had I not already been acquainted with
2: them. That's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. I think Genesis of the Daleks may have been the first snippet of Doctor Who I ever saw in my life. Really? I just have this memory being very young, maybe four, crouching behind like an old grey um settee, uh, as the dalek sort of goes overhead yeah and the doctor and Betan are sort of crouched in the in the um trench underneath yeah it's just a yeah i may I, i'm biased in that regard i'm sure of it like it's just no but this is fantastic it's just one of those moments where it's just like i distinctly recall that scene and the terror of that as well and oh my god a, you're
1: literally one of the kids crouching behind oh, the sofa
2: I, I absolutely was yeah absolutely that's amazing yeah so I I can't forget that. And that's that's obviously colouring my uh, my view of Genesis.
1: Oh, and I mean, clearly it was a successful introductory episode well, for you. Well, yeah, 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 absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Well, I take it all back. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so what are your worst ones? There are
2: three that immediately stand out, and most Doctor Who fans would say this as well. I would say The Power of Crawl is one of the worst because it's so paper thin. <laughs> yeah. And it's really about like a giant octopus who farts and that those farts are, you know, the most valuable, the methane that produ- that's produced by that is the most valuable substance in the universe. Okay, sure, Bob Holmes. Yeah, why not?
0: Great. <laughs> um,
2: I, I also think it's just really dull. Um, the other two, though probably less contentious for most people, Megloss from season eighteen, where it's the cactus doctor. Oh, of course. And there's some wonderful visuals in that, but there's just not enough ideas for a story, let alone four parts. I think so. That one, that one struggles. It's, it's really sort of banal in terms of its religion versus science dialogue, which doesn't really go anywhere. And they waste Jacqueline Hill coming back to the show. But the worst. Tom Baker is probably going to be Underworld uh, in the sense that oh, okay. yep. in, t- in terms of introducing new people, yep. new fans um, to the show. It's got a very decent part one, I would argue. Like, it really sets up the mystery and, I, and you know, based on Jason and the Argonauts, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But episodes two, three and four have the most... Uninspired use of CGI or or green screen.
1: I remember this. This is the really poorly rotoscoped stuff when they're looking down cave tunnels, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I
2: I think you would lose so many people who are so used to amazing special effects in the modern era. Yeah. It it would have looked ropey, I'm certain, in 1977, 78, whenever it was. It looks absolutely unforgivable now. It's one of those stories where you sort of think they should just not have made this. They they would have been better off not making this. Skip a couple of weeks. And and like bank the budget for something else because if you are that low on on funds and, you know, inflation played a big part over that course of that year as well. So like a pound at the beginning of the year was not worth a pound at the end of the year. All that sort of stuff made it difficult for them, blah, blah, blah. But you really have to wonder how did this get put on television?
1: Is this the can you remind me, is this the one where part of the conceit is that an onboard spaceship computer Correct. kind of that's the one, yeah, I'm yeah. thinking of the right one. And now, it's not an interesting episode. No. Is there like a Mexican standoff with nuclear weapons?
2: No, that's the Armageddon factor. Oh. But that's also pretty awful. Okay, yeah, that is bad.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Am I conflating these two? Which one is the one that where they're wearing the gigantic phallic helmets? Is that Underworld? No, that's Underworld, isn't it? No, that it? is Underworld, yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, that literally have a, a cock and balls for <laughs> eyelids or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, it's it's horrible. It's absurd. Yeah, But it's
2: it's also going out at the same time that Star Wars 1977 is hitting. Yeah, Spain. what are they
1: thinking? I have no Just idea. Just go to the cinema at one point and see what people <laughs> are now expecting. Like, someone's raised the bar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so I think that one would be one that you would guarantee to lose, Mm. you know, a would-be fan for life.
1: That's a very good choice. That's a very good choice. And in many ways, as evidenced by the many questions I had to ask you, a forgettable serial. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned Megalos before. I just want to say that's the second time that you've mentioned a worst pick that I have given 4.1 to. 4.1 to Megalos. I don't know why. (laughs) I don't know why. It stars a cactus. Yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is, like,
2: a superbly bonkers enough idea for it to be, like, yeah. a Doctor Who episode, like s- script that should yeah. work. But I just think it's tired, And, like, I think they're just trying to, you know, get four episodes out as opposed to, like, really try. It's the one story in season 18 that just doesn't do anything. Like, all the rest of them serve some kind of purpose in terms of bringing us to that point where we see tom regenerate at the end of Legopolis. yeah
1: but mabel's is just filler
2: i think so yeah it's the most skippable and forgettable of. of i honestly have 18. no
1: idea what i saw in it <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll re-listen to the thing and at some point in a year's time i'll re-watch it okay why <laughs> <laughs> okay. well, is that it for the fourth doctor um,
2: I think so, but, I mean, at the same time, we could have gone through and listed any number of stories in terms of ones to start with. There are so many. Robots of Death? Robots say. of I know, yeah. Oh, but anyway, we, we, we could do that all night, but we can't. We have to move on to The Fifth
1: Doctor. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Fourth Doctor, just to kind of, Tie that bow. The Fourth Doctor surely is one of those doctors who is the introductory Doctor for most people. Not for most people, but for many people.
2: I think so. Yeah, I think there's merit in that in the sense that when you watch The Simpsons, it's the Fourth Doctor that's right appears. Like, and I think the legacy of the Tom Baker years being repeated on PBS in America and ABC in Australia is huge. Yeah, like that's the Doctor that people recognise. There was a few years ago where I think there was like a, a, a UK government kind of uh, poll and, um, you know, Tennant came first and, and, and Baker, Tom Baker came second. Mm. I, don't, I don't think either of those things are uh, a coincidence. Like, these are the totemic, new and classic sort of doctors, if you like. And yet Tom is, yeah. Tom is synonymous with the role and there's no doubt in many people's mind that he's probably the definitive
1: classic doctor. Hats off, Tom Baker. Yeah.
0: Go on, I'm sure it's safe.
2: Wait a minute. That one again. Now that one.
1: A perfect fifth. Fifth, Doctor? Well,
2: um, you know, I was talking earlier about Gun and Frock, and one of the things that seems to be maybe a hallmark of the Davison years is that vacillation between Gun and Frock actually within seasons. So I was oh, talking okay. before about Hinchcliffe is you would say predominantly gun williams is predominantly frock now there's exceptions mm. to that but that's kind of like you have 3 years of gun 3 years of frock with davison you have 4 weeks of gun and then it's 4 weeks of frock and then 4 weeks of gu- it seems to vacillate between the two and interesting it's almost as though the show doesn't have a creative vision under its script editor <laughs> to under, like to sort of pick a style of storytelling but at the same time i think maybe there's an element of richness about that as well so, you can have stories like Earthshock, which I think is a bit of a magic trick. The first time you play that magic trick, it's wow, it's amazing. But okay. when you replay that magic trick, it's like oh, I'm starting to see through this a little. Oh, interesting! But I think as nonetheless, it does something really interesting and really new. And he brings the siren back after seven years, and it's just like it kills a companion
1: in that drink Blah blah blah. Yeah, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. It, it it has that very neat book ending of what killed the dinosaurs. I mean, that it's so too, incredibly yeah, yeah. it's blatant in a George Lucas kind of way. It's poetic. It writes. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. and you know the timey wiminess of the whole you know going back to hundreds what. Well, 65 million years and whatever else it's a bit of crap science but I'm okay with that I'm, you know, like Doctor Who is full of crap science um, absolutely so Tegan he works, is
1: she comes into her own
2: yeah yeah she's, she's quite strong in that Nissa doesn't have anything to do as usual um, yeah, but unfortunately but, but the Davison Doctor is at his best I think when he's sort of put into these tough situations in many regards and he's superb in that as well so Earthshock would be one of those there's many others Caves of Androzani of a similar ilk, I guess. But I actually do prefer the frock rather than the Gun davidson stories. Okay. So the one that I've chosen is actually Enlightenment.
1: Interesting choice. Okay, why?
2: Because I think the Davidson doctor is a softer doctor than the others. And that sort of more lyrical aspect of those frock kind of stories serves serves him probably better than even the, the Gun ones like Androzani or Frontios or Earthshock. But there is something beautiful about and lyrical about that story where you have these incredibly powerful yet impotent Eternals who are manipulating events, and you have the black and white guardians who are manipulating events. And the Doctor seems to be caught in the middle of this. But, and I think I mentioned this in the mini that I sent through to you, um, he has figured it all out. And at the end, when he's given the choice of enlightenment, he says, I'm not ready for it. In fact, I don't think anyone is. And he defers the choice to Turlough. Yeah. And the whole um, three stories sort of leading up to this point in terms of the the Black Guardian trilogy is is a story really about Turlough and the choice that he comes to make. And the choice that he makes is effectively, do you want to be selfish and evil and a bastard? Or have you learnt something from the example of the Doctor? And of course, of course he has. Yeah. And that fifth fifth Doctor, that kind, soft Doctor, entrusts the fate of the universe into this errant child – in full faith that the errant child will choose correctly. And of course he does. And it's just, it's a marvellous moment, I guess. Like, you know, most other doctors would, would take the, the choice and, you know, solve it themselves. But here it's like, no, the fifth doctor believes in his companions. And the companions are a proxy for us, I guess. The, sure, yeah. So the fifth no, of doctor course believes they're in the audience. Us. I just think there's something so beautiful and summative about that moment in terms of what The Fifth Doctor is. It's most exemplary of his character and his nature. So that's why I've chosen Enlightenment.
1: I would never have picked it myself, Mm. but I fully buy your justification of it that being said enlightenment as the serial not the state of mind is <laughs> uh, it's also chocker with really weird unfounded concept like what is what is this competition who cares why do you need to imitate boats from earth's history <laughs> but, wouldn't you pick better ones <laughs> yeah etcetera, etc etc but no, you're right. Who cares? <laughs> it, they aren't boats. They're not even spaceships. They're just metaphors. Absolutely. Uh, and it holds true. Yeah. Oh, what a nice choice. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> that's so much better than mine. Interesting. Is that what you have for best?
2: I would select it as my best and best to introduce others in terms of what The Fifth Doctor is about. Yeah. Right.
1: Okay. So I, I picked two. Okay. Yeah. And one of them is, I wonder if this does feed into one of them certainly is gone. It is Earthshock. Sure. For all the reasons we said before, mm-hmm. the other one is the visitation. Ah, oh, yeah, which I love. Okay, it has that historical angle. Yeah, so there's the pseudo historical aspect, lots of sci-fi. It has uh, fantastic costumes. It has that concept of wait, hang on. There is an alien, but that alien is not successful, but he is, he, he's, he's got his scar, etc. Et mm, yeah, yeah. It's a failed invasion trying to instigate a successful invasion without an invasion force. <laughs> it's terrific in that sense. It sure. has the ridiculous robot that it sends out. Yes. So you're like, oh my god, that's the alien. Wait, no, it's not the alien. It's just the henchman. <laughs> <laughs> and it has the Fire of London yeah so we we tie it to a what i'm assuming now in hindsight is a fixed point in time we tie it to that we pin it to something in history and we have the element of oh doc was responsible for it in many ways
2: that's a good choice i can see that definitely yeah i think visitation is a story that i'm probably not as keen on as i used to be but i do remember loving it when i first saw it absolutely Mm. and And you're right, like, all of those things make it a very strong starting point for the Fifth Doctor, definitely. I think so, yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, well, I'm glad we agree. (laughs) (laughs) What about your worst? Right, okay, I went with the King's Demons. Oh, yeah. It's a really poor master introduction. Yeah. So we, we have a master who is spectacular in the actual sense of the word. There is not a scene with that master on screen in fact with with most masters on screen that isn't pure spectacle so why why would you start someone off on this piece of shit where you have you introduce a new companion in chameleon as well who's conceptually very interesting and then fully squandered for the rest of his tenure absolutely and it's not even that interesting a story it's really not oh the king is mad oh the king isn't the king the king is a robot all right (laughs) great (laughs) I can't necessarily say that the acting is subpar, but I also don't remember any highlights from it. And yeah. that doesn't really speak well.
2: So I also chose The King's Demons. Oh, no way. Okay. Yeah. And the reason for that is um, the first classic Doctor Who episode that an old housemate of mine saw with me Oh yeah. was The King's Demons? Okay. And I don't know how I ever got him to watch anything, <laughs> any other classic Who ever again. It was just on in the background and it was just, like, I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like this is, this is not in any way illustrative of how good this program is. In fact, this is a really bad story. It, it's, it's awful. Um, they've run out of money. Right. There is no script to speak of whatsoever. Yeah. Why is the master who has such grand schemes now resorting to having a piece of paper not signed? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> how does that matter to him? It really doesn't. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's one of those sort of moments where the Ainley Master is returned, and we just sort of think, "Oh Christ, you again!" And that's not <laughs> what—that's not our, what no. our reaction should be when when we're seeing the Master return. Yeah. It should be like, "Oh, amazing! That's great." But no, in the, in this instance, it's just like I can't believe it's this guy again, and he's got a crap plan and a crap beard and a crap wig and disguise. Yeah. And no, it's 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 the worst Davison story. I agree.
1: If you're gonna watch a serial about royalty in some sort of uh, pseudo-medieval landscape. Okay. Planet, wherever, wherever it is. That's not on Earth, is it? It's, no, it is. It's, it's, it's oh, is on, it Earth? It's, yeah, it's um,
2: the time of Magna Carta.
1: Oh, of course it is. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no, I'm conflating different serials here. The the, the other one that I'm thinking of, and I'm transposing both to the same world, is Androids of Tara. Ah, uh, yes. And that, to me, is so such a superior serial. Completely. So if you're going to pick one where royalty is... <laughs> is replaced by androids in order to usurp uh, political power. Mm -hmm. Don't go for the King's Demons. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Absolutely.
1: Did you have any others on that list? No, that was it. That was the only worst one I had. Um, I had a few others. I think
2: Time Flat is widely derided, and it's a pretty poor story and just full of... Just continuity rubbish.
1: Right. This is the one where a BA flight is re Yeah, yeah. Because yes. I can't remember what they're called, but there's an alien race that... No, it's is it the master that wants to use an alien race as the jet fuel for his TARDIS? Or, That's it. Right. Yeah.
2: The Xerophon. And it, it's Xerophon, awful. It's, it's, yeah. it's a nonsense. That one's definitely poor. It's also not helped by the fact that there's no money left in the budget and there, it looks really poor as well. The production's awful. The other two, for me at least, I find Terminus unbelievably dull
1: can you remind me what terminus is about
2: um, they're on a Lazar ship like a it's kind of like a um, like a leper colony ship
1: oh yes of course yeah yeah and it's got that yeah it, uh, I've just opened it on who when I it has splinter yes splinter. yeah yeah <laughs> yes the gum um, and the
2: other one I think is maybe like the most worst car crash of a script from the 80s Re- <laughs> resurrection of the Daleks and I say that. Wait, what? I, I cannot stand it. What? And I think it's a total mess. Like anyone who is new to, to Doctor Who, if you sat them down and said, here, watch this, A, they would be totally lost. In addition to that, <laughs> there's three competing plot strands. Yep. And it's the C-plot that's the most interesting, and it's the one that's thrown away at the end about the duplicates. and Yeah, that's Litten, invade. yeah, etc. Yeah, but, and they're, they're going to use them to invade Gallifrey. It's like, whoa, hang on a second. Yeah, this yeah is wait, not, wait, wait, you glossed over something there. That, that's like in the last five minutes of the story, and that's probably the most interesting thing that's happened so but far. But do
1: you think that's set up as a potential f- a sequel, like a follow-up serial that will have that added as its plot, the same way that we revisit Litten in Attack of the Cybermen? could we not revisit that as a concept whereby all of a sudden there are duplicates invading possibly California. but they didn't they didn't do it that's yeah. true though you're absolutely right i give it 4.6 oh okay I, I, I don't know why i don't know why no, stop asking me <laughs> no, no
2: no no i look there are many fans that love it i'm not in that category i just think it's an absolute mess of a story and it's really nasty as well i don't like i said i i quite like a number of gun stories like *Chances of the daleks yeah like earthshot but this is like, unremittingly and cruelly just That's, nasty.
1: Yeah, that is true. It it has a bioweapon, there's yeah. a, a tremendous violence. It has just mm-hmm. conceptually, I mean, the, sorry, the concept of the duplicates, people who have been stripped of their identity. Yeah. And they're forced to live in a shell of, of, of just memory loss. Mm-hmm. That in itself is already a nightmare scenario that I, you wouldn't wish on your worst enemies. So, or maybe one or two worst enemies, but but it, yeah, it, it. You're right. It is a it's a mean episode. It is
2: mean. Yeah, yeah. So for that reason, I just I also
1: don't like it. It's got cool cryogenically frozen Davros. Sure. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what? Well, holy smokes! Wait, did you have more worst ones? No. In that case, that's it for classic who, Wow, mm. uh, I mean, for the first five doctors, Yes. Uh, maybe come back when we've done six seven eight <laughs> <laughs> that's very good do you have is there anything no spoilers, but is there anything about docs six seven eight that mm-hmm. you I mean eight is pretty obvious, but six and seven that really qualifies as, wow, fantastic introductions.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to spoil the McCoy ones at all, all about Colin Baker ones. There are absolutely stories in that run that would be perfect starting points for people who are new to Classic Who. In both of them? In both of them. Okay. And for Colin Baker, might I just say, that yeah. the one that I would pick, is the one that you're going to do next oh
1: vengeance on Varro. that's the one. Oh my goodness i can't wait <laughs> that is next we're recording that in like a couple of weeks that's fantastic <laughs> oh i can't wait i can't wait to listen to it right so depending on what yeah i think we're gonna break here we're <laughs> gonna turn this into a two-parter potentially okay sure yeah because we've we've recorded two hours
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: wow. how did we do that i don't know it's just <laughs> had a, a blast So, Podcast Lands, we're going to break here, but we're going to rejoin you for us imminently, for you, in a couple of weeks' time or something, for all the New Who ones. In the meantime, uh, you need to listen to New To Who. It's such an interesting and elucidating podcast. And if you've enjoyed the dulcet tones of... (laughs) My co-host of this evening, then you must treat your earballs to even more of it. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you. Thank you, Leon. And please continue to record them.
2: Yes, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll get some more in the can uh, now that COVID's lifted and I'll, I'll be able to return home to Perth. Um, in yeah, the
1: not too distant future. I'm thrilled, by the way, because I still have a few left. I think I don't know how many I have left to listen to because I've only listened to the ones that we've reviewed. Absolutely, I wouldn't want to spoil it for you. It's and I don't know how many you've done that we haven't reviewed yet. I, I don't know the list by handful, heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there is a little bit of oh, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Thank you. Can people follow you on Twitter and stuff?
2: You can find the podcast, at least, on uh, Twitter, at New to Who Podcast. There's also a website, www.newtohoo.com. It hasn't been updated in quite some time, so (laughs) bear with us. But if you haven't dived into our back catalogue, it's there and waiting for you to do so. It's one of those podcasts, I guess, that you can just listen to at any point. It's not necessarily dated or or whatever the case is. Um, So dive into that. I'm on Twitter as well at Steed
1: Stylin without the g
2: or one word <laughs> that's my avengers uh
1: fascination coming through there as well very nice um but yes you can i didn't put that together time. until you talked about avengers ah, this evening by okay. the way well, there yeah. you go. Yes. <laughs> oh that's very good right if you want to say hi to me as well feel free i'm at punk and p-o-n-k and don't know why who knows it's a mystery <laughs> um until the next time please rock on and uh, yeah cha ciao. cha-chao, cha-chao. Kablamo, did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to And spread the gospel of who back when Tell your friends but I've got no friends No problemo, tell some strangers Hooray. Like us on Facebook That's facebook.com slash who back when All in one word Are you into Twitter? Awesome High five us online and we'll high five you right back You guessed it, we're at who back when All in one word Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha-chao! Who
0: back when?